Hello and welcome to P4A's Let's Talk Rare monthly podcast. Every month, we at Partners for Access bring to you some of the most important news developments in the orphan drug and cell and gene therapy world and what they mean to you. Welcome to P4A's Let's Talk Rare monthly podcast. I'm Georgie Rack, and your host, along with my partner in crime, Owen Bryant. And this month, I'm recording live from the WODC. So I'm so excited to bring you lots of different content, lots of speaker interviews, and really just get a sense of the ambience and the atmosphere at the WODC 2022. And whilst my colleague Georgie is sunning herself at the WODC in Barcelona, I'll be listening in in London. But for now, let's go back to Georgie and her guests at the WODC. So I'm now joined by Alexandra Nats from UCOPE. How has your conference been so far, Alex? Very good. Uh, it's it, It's been very nice to see many people back. It's uh, one of the bigger conferences after the pandemic. So it was really a great networking opportunity. I attended a couple of very interesting sessions and it was really basically nice to be back in in, in the uh, World of Drug Congress in, in, in Europe. So very nice setting. It's, really, it's been really good, hasn't it? It's been a busy week, but a, a very tiring week as well. Um, I just wanted to ask you, we, we attended one of your sessions, Alex, and it was on the last day. Um, and it was ATMPs and lessons learned from the from the last five years. Can you tell me a little bit about your sessions? Uh, any highlights that you can bring from that? Any challenges uh, and any key takeaways that that came out of that session? Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, we had a great session on the I think the last day of the conference about uh, five years of ATMPs lessons learned. We've been looking a little bit into the past uh, five years, but also we've been looking into the future. And I was joined by Josie Godfrey uh, and uh, Dirk Schmidt from uh, Taisha, a small company from the US with a very interesting pipeline. And we discussed, we discussed a little bit about the successes and the, uh, and, and the failures over the last five years. And when I look at it, uh, I, I do see more successes. And I think also Partners for Access had a very nice session uh, on the same track in the morning, uh, talking a little bit about Zolgensma and what were the factors for success. And I actually think that the product was a, a great commercial success in, 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 in Europe, probably also in the US. It's uh, one of the few gene therapies which had a, 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 a bigger patient population. Um, we have seen quite a few products over the last uh, seven years, I would say, with Trimvelis, with Lipmeldi. Uh, Sky Sona, which were uh, um, addressing ultra rare diseases, where you've some in, in some of those cases where you've even seen higher prices uh, than in Zolgensma. Um, but the tricky thing is that for those type of therapies, you really have to have a referral system across Europe to send patients to the centers where there is expertise to treat patients uh, in an ultra rare disease with a gene therapy. So there is an element of cross-border healthcare working or not working in some instances, depends very much on the country. I would say we, uh, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, pay for performance models, which for me, are a very important ingredient in the launch of a gene therapy uh, in Europe. And we've seen that those um, um, contracts, uh, the, those outcome-based contracts are actually working when you, in a way, keep them simple and when you're not overcomplicating things. So 
Uh, we also talked about registries. We talked about success factors, uh, why those products have actually been successful. And I think uh, that was a, a nice uh, sum up of the last five years. We also looked a bit into the future, next uh, five or 10 years. I think we will see gene therapies in non-rare indications where payers uh, seem to be very cautious, uh, actually, uh, because the budget impact will be probably significantly higher. And we also looked into the tools which have worked in the past and whether they would also work for those type of products. We've seen a lot of different payment models being suggested for gene therapies, and some are being implemented, like you just mentioned, then outcomes-based agreements and instalment-based pricing. What do you think the future will be for innovative access agreements? Yeah, very good question. The very good question. Thank you for this. Um, actually, I think the future will be more on the outcome-based uh, payment guarantee, if I could call it this way, where the payer uh, or healthcare system is, is paying the company up front. And when there is a failure in treatment, then there is money-back guarantees for the simple reason that the products we are talking about are administered in, in, in the hospital setting, right? And the hospital in most of our countries would purchase a product and then get re reimbursement from the NHS or from, from uh, the payers in Germany and France and so on. So there is an intermediate and that intermediate is the hospital in purchasing that medicine. The hospital controllers we talk to are very reluctant to actually um, split that into pieces to into installments and to say like okay i will only get my uh, first installment of 300,000 in the year 2024 my second installment in 2025 and so on and so forth so that seems to be difficult in 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 terms of accounting uh, accounting rules internally in the hospital and the controllers we talked with were all not very interested in installments and that might be uh, 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 somewhat of a uh, road stopper, like for those type of installment uh, uh, criteria and deals. So on top of that, the payers we've been talking to over the last three years are very much interested in outcome-based guarantees. They're not so much interested in paying something later, paying in installments. I've heard few payers saying that installments is the key factor, what is what they are looking for. It's rather about outcome-based guarantees to say, I get my money back if it's not working in a way. Yeah. And I think that that's gonna be the future. I mean, it depends on the individual country. In some countries, the, the installment model might work, but at least in Germany, I could say, very difficult to implement. Yeah, and just to touch on Germany, as you know, we had a, we had a recent uh, podcast all around the changes in Germany. Do you still think Germany will be the go-to market or the first go-to market um, in light of the, of the legislation changes that are that are taking place? Yes, it's it's an important question indeed because they're changing things here. They are um, actually uh, reducing the uh, the period of free pricing from uh, twelve months to six months. At the end of the day, to answer your question, I think Germany will still be the first go-to market for orphan drugs. For the simple reason that uh, even though they also lost, uh, lowered the, the, the 50 million threshold to 30 million, I mean, the 30 million in the beginning of a product will be, will be able, that, that space will be able to accommodate many orphan drugs and uh, you will still get an additional benefit for those type of medicines. And for that reason, I think even though we are seeing things getting a bit tougher also for orphan drugs and ATMPs, but I think those measures which have been implemented um, can be harmful 
uh, in the space of non-orphan drugs, especially the guardrails, which are saying that actually, if you don't show a significant or considerable additional benefit, you are not supposed to exceed the price of the comparator. That's, that's a very important one, which we have to watch very carefully how that will play out in practice. Um, but in my reading, that applies uh, mainly for the products um, uh, which are non-orphans or the orphans which are exceeding the 30 million threshold. So to cut a long story short, yes, it's not making it easier what, what has been changed in Germany, but, uh, but the landscape I would still consider positive uh, and I would still consider Germany as a first launch country. We, we, we completely agree with that, um, Alexander. We, we, we still think it'll be the first go-to market. Uh, we think it's highly unlikely that, that they're going to find a, a higher price in a, in a different market launching yeah. first. So, um, yeah, totally agree on that. So thank you so much. And then finally, what's been your highlight of the, the World Orphan Drug Congress so far? What was your, what was your best part? Yeah, I mean, it was really, I, at the end of the day, it was really about meeting people, right? right? It's, uh, we, ha we attended a couple of very interesting and nice sessions. Uh, and and uh, it was really about meeting uh, people which you haven't seen uh, uh, physically for quite a while after uh, during the pandemic. And it was a very nice setting. Uh, it's really a very relaxed setting in a way, a nice hotel, uh, good conference, good speakers, uh, really a good mixture of, uh, let's say, academics, industry people, patient organizations, uh, uh, consultants, and, uh, and so on. So it was really nice to see many people back. And I attended a few sessions which were really interesting. And I'm looking forward to the conference next uh, next year. I think next year is going to be in Barcelona, I understand. It is. And I would also yeah. like to mention that I will be on a panel next week uh, in Brussels uh, with Sophie uh, from Partners for Access, where we're talking about cell and gene therapies, uh, uptake in Europe and Zintegla, what went wrong. and But also we will take a look at the more positive examples of gene therapy uptakes in, in Europe. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Thank you, Alex. I was just going to ask you what you are up to, so that's great. So, guys, you heard it here first. Alex will be presenting next week at the DIA UCOPE conference in Belgium. Um, and do look out for, for updates on our LinkedIn site and also on UCOPEs. Thank you so much, Alex, for joining me today. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much. So I have with me today Leon Van Wauw from the company Vol Global. Volv is a digital health and life science company based in Switzerland. Volv hosted a half-day workshop at the conference titled Putting AI to Work for Rare Diseases and How Can AI Inform Better Clinical Development Strategy Design and Patient Satisfaction? So first of all, welcome to Leon. Thank you for joining my podcast. Thank you, Georgie. It's a pleasure to be here. And first of all, let me start by asking you, are you enjoying the conference so far? Absolutely. I think the uh, WODC is one of the best organized um, conferences I've, uh, I've attended. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very rich, of course, for the rare disease space. Absolutely. So I mentioned that you hosted a half day workshop. Can you tell me a little bit about your session and any key takeaways that came out of that? Yes, absolutely. So the, the session that we run was really to engage with the audience around how we can leverage uh, insights that we derive from work with AI on real world health data for informing clinical development. And we, we really took some inspiration, inspiration and guidance from the, uh, the FDA guidance for industry for clinical development in, in rare disease areas. 
Uh, and that guidance really is very good at pointing out to some of the fundamental questions that need to be addressed at the start of clinical development. And we really took that to heart because we believe uh, uh, we can really help in that space. So the first one is really around uh, defining target patient populations to take forward in clinical research. Uh, rare diseases are often really, really poorly understood. Uh, and there's a lot of heterogeneity in these kind of diseases. Uh, so characterizing that better is really critically important. And we, we believe uh, it really is crucially important because you see so many trials fail um, in, in, in development. I think in, in rare disease, it's, uh, the, the numbers are really, really poor. Uh, more than 90% of clinical development efforts in rare disease uh, go nowhere, they fail. Uh, I think typically in, 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 in clinical trials, 30% of the trials that, uh, that make it into phase three still do not clear the regulatory hurdle. Uh, and oftentimes that is because the, the patient population ends up proving to be really heterogeneous and you get a very um, inconclusive uh, trial readout as a result. So doing that work up front, leveraging real world data to understand the patient population better, I think is critically important. So that was sort of like the key one of the key topic areas that we discussed uh, and had people discuss in, in, in breakout groups. Other areas went into uh, biomarker research and endpoint development in, in RARE. Uh, and uh, yeah. yeah. That, that was, and any, were, there any, were there any outcomes or calls to actions from, from the end of that session, Leon? Yeah, our intention was really to learn and understand in how much people from the industry, from different stakeholder groups, were actually leveraging real-world data, as the guidance for industry suggests they should, um, and, uh, and where they saw the potential in that. And, and one of the key takeaways for us was that um, there's actually quite a lot of misconceptions or misunderstandings about uh, what can be done. Um, so we took that away really as a learning. I think there's a lot of education that we still need to do in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. That's really, really interesting. Uh, and just on that, so what other sessions have you attended so far? Um, and anything that's really jumped out at you that you think would be important to share with our audience today? I think there were a variety of sessions. The opening address was really good. Uh, I really enjoyed the panel discussion that was moderated by Sophie Schmitz from Partners for Access. Uh, I think it was a very interesting discussion. I think some of the themes that we saw in the pre-conference workshop, in our pre-conference work workshop, played out in the panel discussion as well, uh, such as the idea that really in rare disease, you ought to be working with registries, whereas we believe that actually there's a lot of information locked away in, uh, in normally collected health data, you know, like primary care records or even claims data. Um, so that was for us uh, a real good takeaway from that. Anything that you'd like to share, anything that Volve is doing this year or next year, Leon, that you'd like to share? Well, the first thing really that we're going to do, I think, is the, um, the World Orphan Drug in the USA. In I think that's in July, or is it in May? I think that's July in, uh, yeah. in Boston, isn't it? Or is it New York this time? No, it's moving. It's moving to, I don't know where, I have to look it up. Yep, just to butt in there, the WODC is going to be taking place from the 23rd of May to the 25th of May, and that's at Washington, D.C. So we'll hope to see you there, Leon. I'm now joined by Wing. Wing is the General Manager at Terrapin, and she produces the World Orphan Drug Congress in Europe every year. Welcome to our podcast, Wing. 
And let's start by asking you, what do you think about the conference so far? I mean, it's been an incredible um, 13th annual uh, World Orphan Drug Congress Europe. Um, it's so fantastic to be able to bring everyone back together properly um, in the numbers that uh, we were anticipating in a pre-pandemic. So we nearly had a thousand people um, you know, brought together um, from every bit of the World Orphan Drug um, you know, rare disease um, industry and, and stakeholders together. And um, it was just so fantastic to see all the networking um, all the different collaborative uh, conversations that happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, me and my whole team were really, really pleased um, with, with how it went. Brilliant. And were there any key trends that you picked up on throughout the sessions at this conference? I mean, there was uh, so much that that went on. Of course, you know, everyone's anticipating uh, what the OMP, you know, revision is going to mean. How is that going to impact um, uh, in 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 every part of, of what what we do uh, in this industry and in, in uh, rare disease development? What that means for patients. Um, so a lot of that as uh, as a conversation. But um, more importantly, um, we heard over and over again in terms of trends of that collaborative nature uh, of how we're all going to work together. Um, and uh, and and obviously with the, with the commission and different governing bodies. As well um, to make this a really positive change um, for the orphan drug industry. Um, there's also other elements as well, initiatives um, like uh, the, the EUHDA um, and, and also, you know, how do we uh, maintain our competitiveness um, in Europe as well when it comes to um, orphan drug development and ATMPs and, and so forth. So, um, so, so those were clearly some of the um, kind of key trends, if you like. And of course, the different uh, presidencies are happening as well. So, um, you know, uh, this time next year, it will be Spain uh, that will be leading that in, in rare diseases uh, and we'll be back in Barcelona as well. So um, there'll be a lot to talk about and um, uh, and, and so uh, lots to anticipate. Perfect. Thank you so much. And you just mentioned there that you're back next year. What are the, Have you got the dates confirmed yet for next year, Wing? So we're looking at the first week of November. Uh, we are looking at a central Barcelona rather than Sitges. Um, and that's purely because of the, the size of the Congress that we've grown year on year. We've outgrown um, our, our venue in Sitges. Uh, and uh, we're looking at the Fira Centre um, and near the, the Magic Fountain. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful venue. So we're back from the World Orphan Drug Congress in Sitges and having a bit of a, a bit of a P for A team debrief. So I'm joined by my colleagues Chloe Shepherd and Joanna Fernandez from the P for A team. So yeah, we'll be talking about their highlights and the top sessions they attended and why. If any of you out there know, but I am a WODC virgin. I've never been, I don't know anything about it. So I'm hoping you're going to guide me gently through the process and we can find out a little bit about what it's like because I imagine a lot of the people listening also haven't been to the WODC. So yeah, looking forward to finding out a little bit about what it was all about. Brilliant. I can't believe you haven't been, Owen. I think we need to get you there next year. Well, I've just not been invited, Georgie. So, you know, that's what happens when you're not invited to places. You don't go. Oh, sad night, but, Owen. Sad to be, night, To be Owen. fair, I probably would be a little bit of a fish out of water there, but I would love to go. It sounds, um, from what I hear, that we had a great conference and there were some really interesting things discussed. So looking forward to hearing about them. Yeah, it was it was a really really good conference. So I don't know, Owen, if you want to if you want to kick off with your with your questions that you've well, got ready for Joanna and Chloe, or if you want me to just go straight in. Um, well, yeah, as as we do with all of our guests, we have a few either or questions, or they call town or country or whatever. So I'd like to start with you, if that's okay, Chloe. I don't have yeah. particularly many, but you know, as we ask all of our guests, are you a town or a countryside person? Countryside, absolutely. 
That is the most definitive uh, version of that question. That answer I've ever been given. Wonderful. Okay. Do you like a bath or a shower? I like a bath. I like a bath. Although I don't get them very often. It's always a quick shower, but a bath, yeah, would be my preference. Fantastic. Um, Roger or Rafa? Oh, it's got to be Roger. Got to be Roger. Okay. I'm Roger fan. Yeah. Um, this is an easy, well, easy. It might be a difficult one. Orange juice or apple juice? Apple juice. I hate the bits and orange juice. Fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. And finally, this is a bit of a bit of a diff more difficult one. Would you rather see the future or change the past? See the future. Hey, straight away oh. in with that. And that's a bit of Chloe Shepherd for you. In straight away, gives you the great answer. Thank you very much indeed, Chloe. Thank you. Joanna, it's over to you. Right. Again, we ask everyone the same first question: town or countryside? It's town, unsurprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm interested in this one. Do you like making plan plans or winging it? I like making plans, then ditching the plans and winging it. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a great answer! See, I told you we've got some great guests. Okay. Um, now, I've seen you in both guises, but do you prefer straight hair or curly hair? Oh, it depends on my mood. At the moment, I'm straight for now. Okay. All right. Thank you. What about Alaska or Hawaii? Hawaii. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Alaska, come on. <laughs> I was going to ask you the Arctic Circle or Sahara, but that's the same question. Let's ask her. Okay. Absolutely Hawaii. Um, would you rather be a driver or a passenger? driver okay and i i sort of like to finish with a bit of a more of a tricky one so would you like to live in a world free of disease or a world free of injustice oh my god that's so mean owen um free of disease i mean come on that's what we're trying to aim for here right <laughs> indeed indeed and and what is injustice i mean that's a hard one to say isn't it so i think you've chosen the brilliant answer actually that was fantastic answers from both of you thank you very much for indulging me and that's a little bit about joanna and chloe but now we're going to find out the real reason why why we're here their experiences of wadc that was brilliant thank you so much owen for those questions i have to say it that's my top highlight when we record our podcast really really great <laughs> And while we're talking about highlights, uh, I'd really like to ask Chloe and Joanna what their what their highlights were from the WODC a couple of weeks ago. Who wants to go first? I can go. Um, so WODC, for those of you who haven't been, like Owen, is in the beautiful Stitches, which is very sunny in November, unlike where we're from, London. Um, so one of my favourite things is just enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> um, from a conference standpoint, there were so many, many great sessions this year. And I thought it was really interesting to see the themes coming across the conference over the, the duration, which is three to four days. Um, and there was things like the joint EU HTA, real world evidence collection was talked about a lot, key learnings from ATMPs, and the idea of patient centricity, where we had some uh, debate going on between the different sessions, which was which was really interesting. Um, but as usual, um, one of my highlights, one of my the things I really enjoy doing is just meeting different types of people. Um, yeah. have a lot of different representatives from different like industry, from payer groups, from you know health authorities. It's it's really nice to interact in a, a an informal sort of. Um, way with all of those types of people 
And is it really is it quite informal? Because I'd imagined it was it was quite formal. Um and people were being very professional and um well of course we're always professional, but you know what I mean, having a kind of formal air to the event. But you, you see it was quite quite informal. Well, you find at the beginning of the event is quite formal, everybody's in their business suits, and then after one set of drinks, it's, <laughs> it's quite informal, but then that's when the most interesting discussions I think happen as well. I, I can completely concur with that. It was I thought this year, particularly the networking was just sublime. It from the previous years we've attended, it's obviously been through the COVID pandemic. And even last year, even though we were kind of coming out of the pandemic a little bit, it was still mask wearing, it was still social distancing. So it was really, really difficult actually to network and to speak to people. Whereas I found this year, my gosh, everyone was just so up for it. And not in that kind of let's fun, let's go mad and let our hair down. Everyone just wanted to talk. And just the the whole atmosphere in that networking area um was just delicious. It was just amazing. What about you, Chloe? What what did you think? Yeah, I completely agree with what's been said so far. I think it was really great to see so many people attending. Unlike Owen, I am very lucky enough that I'm not a WABC virgin. I did go last year. But the difference in the number of people um, and, and the general atmosphere, I think, because last year it was very much the end of COVID. Um, this year it was noticeably, yeah, a good buzz in, in the air. And I think for me, the highlight, I mean, personal highlight, I would say one of the team dinners we had on the Tuesday evening was so nice. Um, the food was incredible. And just being with the P4A team outside of the office is super fun um, and in, in the beautiful setting of Sitges. Um, but conference-wise, I think for me, seeing all those different representatives of the healthcare industry, so you have the patient groups, industry, policymakers, um, payers as well, um, all coming together to talk about the key issues, which is really interesting. And it's so interesting to see how different topics evolve um, from last year. So the, some of the key key discussions that we're having last year, you know, the joint EU HDA, for example, is very embryonic. Um, people were just in the kind of early stages of, of talking about it. And then this year, it's one of the main, you know, focal points of the whole conference, which is really, yeah, really exciting to see how things are moving forward. Brilliant. So that, that leads really, really nicely, ladies, into your top session. Now, I know there are so many to choose from. It's going to be really, really difficult, but I'm going to push you, ladies. What was your top session and why? And I'm going to throw that over to Joe. Well, actually, Chloe gave it a nice introduction because my one of my favourite sessions, and I had many, um, was on the first day of the conference, and it was about the joint um, EU HTA, and it involved why I enjoyed it so much is because it involved so many different representatives. There was people from HTA bodies, from the GBA, from Haas, um, as well as health authorities. So there was a very senior member of the EMA who was part of the panel, as well as industry representatives. There was a a gentleman from Takeda who spoke um, and it was all around what the joint the EU joint HTA means for ATMPs and orphan drugs and why I found it was so interesting was there was sort of a consensus that it's going to be a challenge there are issues with the current proposals partly because of the lack of clarity that has been given so far and what the process will involve um, so it was there was a lot of agreement there, but they all sort of looked at it from different lenses. So they all found different issues with it from the pharmaceutical side of things, from the Takeda side of things. He mentioned um, 
creates the lack of certainty of what's going to be happening um and it's causing anxiety for the for the farmer industry is this going to be a streamlined process across the different national bodies because obviously it's now going to be one submission rather than you going to each of the hta bodies or is this just going to create an additional step more work for pharma companies and big companies maybe have the resources to deal with that but for smaller companies especially um you know people who have like 15 members of a market access team or less you know how are they going to deal with this additional step this additional um resource need so that was interesting from an industry perspective, but from a HTA body perspective, as I said, there was members of the GBA and Haas, and what they were saying was, you know, the national HTA systems are quite evolved. Um, and so now there's the process of trying to align it with a centralized system. And how is that really going to work? How are they going to you know, meet the needs of the individual HTA bodies whilst trying to, you know, create this streamlined process while keeping in, in mind the timelines are expected to be shorter. So how are they going to balance all of these needs? I mean, uh, the member of the GBA, she basically said she didn't think harmonization was possible given the heterogeneity between the systems. And she saw it more of a jigsaw puzzle that they need to try and fit together. Um, so that was from an industry perspective and from a, a HTA perspective. But what was really interesting was the member of the EMA who came up and said, you know, she tried to make it a bit more positive and put a positive spin on things and reminded the audience that in the beginning, the regulatory frameworks across Europe were very different as well. And it was done in a member state level, but they managed harmonization through the EMA. And now that's standard process when before it was very, very challenging when they were first implementing it. So... I thought it was an interesting session because you have all of these different perspectives. They all agree there are challenges, um, but they all come from a different perspective and put a different spin on it. Um, but I think everybody agreed at the end that open dialogue between these different parties is going to be really, really important moving forward for the process. Sounds like that was a really important discussion actually to have for everyone to get together and and to to share their their views on things because it's you know it's difficult isn't it sometimes you you you're plowing a furrow of, of yourself and you're you're looking at it from your own point of view but when you look at it from a different um sector things things can change so i think the wodc is a an incredibly important event to get these these thoughts and processes out there yeah completely agree on because you find that it is, it is, as we were talking about, relatively informal. Otherwise, the process for getting all of these views is very structured. You go out, yeah. you have a consultation, and then <laughs> the the guy from Takeda was mentioning that they had, you know, responded to the consultation. No one's gotten back to them. So it, there's a lot of difficulties in having these conversations between these different types of um, very, very important people. So having this sort of forum to allow that open discussion is really really great and really interesting to for us to be able to hear as well yeah and to be there physically in person you know it's a lot harder to ignore someone when they're right in front of your face uh, and putting their ideas across and you need to be more polite and and uh, as well and, and listen to people i think so i think yeah, that pressing the flesh is incredibly important i think that's what i think people would miss so much during covid was was an exchange of ideas and meeting people and and and, and seeing uh seeing some hope out there yeah, absolutely. It's actually an, an interesting point because last year, as Chloe was saying, was still towards the end of the COVID pandemic. So you had people in masks and everything, but some of the speakers chose to join via Zoom or an online platform. Mm -hmm. And I found this year, because all of the speakers were in person, 
it was so much more of an interesting dialogue because people were responding to body language and facial expressions and that kind of thing. So I thought this year was very, very interesting from that perspective. And I've got a lot more out of it. Yeah, definitely. And the audience participation, I, th I think they were they were challenging panels. They were commenting. They weren't, you know, they weren't just sitting there compliant. They were really involved in those sessions. Um, and I think that's always great when you can bring your audience along with you on that on that journey and um, and have some real real good context from them as well so that that was really really good to see and good to watch what about you Chloe what was your top session and why so Georgie my top session was one of the keynote panels on the first morning of the conference on the Tuesday morning and it was talking to members of the European expert group on auto incentives the panel was composed of representatives from the EMA, UCOPE, Eurodis, um, and also industry representatives, again, uh, from Takeda as well. And it's a really important and pertinent topic they were discussing, which was the European medicine product regulation and how the European Commission is currently preparing to revise the incentives framework um, for orphan drugs at a regulatory level in Europe. So the, the work that the European expert group is doing is essentially bringing together representatives uh, cross-functionally, so representatives from patient groups, academia, um, rare disease companies, trade associations, and their goal is to provide input and really propose constructive solutions to help guide the European Commission in revising this legislation. And this was my favourite session for two reasons. One, um, because the panel made some really interesting recommendations for both the revision of the incentives framework itself, but also beyond the incentives framework on things that the industry can do to improve access for rare diseases in general, because obviously these policy frameworks are incredibly important, but there's also other things that we need to do to look beyond that. And the second reason um, it was my favourite session is because of how important this topic is to the future of orphan drug development in Europe over the next 20 years. So we've seen that the orphan drug legislation over the past 20 years has indeed worked since it was introduced in 2000. The number of annual uh, submissions for orphan drug designation has tripled since the year 2000, and the number of orphan drugs which are approved in Europe has increased from just three in 2001 to 169 as of wow, 2019. That's amazing. So it really has worked and it's really important that the next update to the incentives framework um, is going in the right direction for the next 20 years because that's what's going to impact um, you know, the future of the orphan drug space uh, that's coming in. And I think some of the key takeaways from the session, so I think one of the Again, like Joanna was saying in her session, a lot of the challenges with the um, update to the framework were discussed. So I think the really big challenge for European policymakers is that they need to deliver on a new set of incentives, which builds on and improves the legislation to incentivize development in orphan drug spaces where no treatment options exist. So where there's a really high level of unmet need, as well as a framework which still incentivizes innovation and transformative therapies in orphan drug conditions where there is already an existing option. So it's a difficult balance to get right. Um, and the topic of unmet need as well came up as quite a challenge because it's really important that we have a definition of what is 
considered an unmet need. And that can be quite subjective when we talk about a particular indication or a particular condition having a level of unmet need. What does that actually mean? And it's really important because how, uh, whether a disease is considered as having an unmet need affects whether the therapy that it's being investigated for uh, will be granted orphan drug designation and benefit from those incentives. So that was one of the key uh, challenges that was raised. And the other thing that came up quite a lot was um, this idea of uncertainty and that the, imp the importance of getting the uh, revisions of the legislation right because we need to help create certainty for orphan drug manufacturers, rare disease companies. And like Joanna was mentioning before with the European Joint HTA framework, it's really important that whatever framework is put in place is really straightforward, it's transparent, and companies really understand um, what exactly they need to do, because otherwise that risks hindering access for patients, it, it complicates the process, and particularly for small companies who just don't have the resources to manage you know, such a complex um, system, it's really important that you know it's straightforward. So again, the rules which are introduced as part of the new revision need to be really, um, really clear, really simple. I think was one of the key takeaways. Yeah, you know, you you've seen like you've learned a lot, and you both Chloe, Chloe and Joanna are two of our most knowledgeable experts in the company. So, for you both of you to go there and to get such amount out of it just shows what a useful conference it, it was overall. Yeah, absolutely. I learned a huge amount. Um, and I think it, taking back some of the uh, takeaways and inspiration that we heard in the conference and applying that to our work with our clients and um, kind of getting a broad industry perspective and a holistic view on things that then we can take those insights back and, and use them in our um, daily project work is, is really cool. It's really, really exciting. Something I wanted to ask was um, when you go to the WADC, and you walk in, it's, it's obviously, it's in a big conference centre somewhere, I assume. It's not a little tent around the back of uh, McDonald's. But um, what what's the deal? Do you sort of go and look about and think, oh, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this? Or do you go with a, with a pre-idea of all the sessions you're going to attend? So for me, it's really handy, actually. The WODC has um, an app. So you can access it on your phone and you can see all of the sessions. So I generally have a vague idea of the sessions that I want to attend before I go and kind of log them in my app. But I think on the day, especially as you get into the conference, you kind of just go, you know, wherever, whatever you feel at the time. You know, there's some sessions in my mind, which I think I really want to go to that one. That sounds super interesting. Yeah. Um, other times I'll be um, with Georgie in the booth, um, chatting to people, uh, networking, um, and other times, yeah, you might just find yourself in a session which kind of uh, was after the session that you really wanted to see and it ends up being something that you were really interested in. So I think it's, yeah, it's a good mix of there are sessions to see and you can sit and listen. The roundtables are great for engaging and, and talking to people and starting those uh, conversations. And then you have the networking, the big conference hall where all the vendors have their booths out um, and you can kind of walk around, have a coffee have juice, um, have some food and canapes and um, just just to just chat to people. It's, it's really quite social in there. So there's a bit of everything depending on what you want to do. And and I know you you like you both like a bit of the fine dining. So Joanna, what was the what was the catering like there? <laughs> that was a very <laughs> can I can I just can I just in, I've got to interject here, Owen. I have to talking about catering. So my highlight was doing a McDonald's run at lunchtime. <laughs> it was honestly it was hilarious just to what see happened? Miss Rack walking back into the conference centre with his big McDonald's bags, 
everyone was looking at me. Um, that that it was just quality. It was so funny. Um, was that, that, what, but... what was a hangover involved in in this? No, entire... no, oh, not at all. Okay. Not at all. We just um, <laughs> if, as you know, I don't do fish, Owen. I'm I, I'm anti fish. And I think that particular day, it was sushi day, um, and there was lots and lots of sushi bits around. Um, and I just thought, oh, I just I just can't. So um, a couple of us decided we really fancied the McDonald's. So I went in a taxi, through the drive-thru, um, and back to the conference centre in about half an hour. So that was definitely my highlight. But the food was great other than that. What about you, Joe? What did you think? Well, for those of us who do like sushi, it was, it was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um... It was different from the year before, I think, um, in that they had more people and so there was less variety than, than last year. But what I'm very much looking forward to is next year because this year it was in uh, Stitches, which is really nice by the coast. It's beautiful. But next year it's in Barcelona, city centre. Um, so there's a ton of wonderful restaurants, I think, around there. So I'm very excited for that. And in Stitches, it's quite close to Barcelona. Is it, what, half an hour away or something? It's like a 40-minute train ride. I think Chloe did it last time when she um, went to WODC. She went in afterwards. But it, it's not far. But when you're in the conference, you're sort of in the conference. You don't really explore too much outside of the city that you're in um, because you have so many other amazing things to be doing. So... Yeah, next year. What, do you know why they're moving it to Barcelona? Is it just got bigger and better, or is it's, it just... it's exactly that? I mean, it's got bigger and it's got better. Um, so next year, I, th I think the attendance today was uh, this year. Sorry, was around a thousand attendees. Uh, and then I think when you look at sponsorships, there were maybe thirty companies that that were sponsoring and actually had booths in in that network zone. They're doubling it next year, so we're actually going to have around sixty uh, sponsorship booths um, in in a massive network hall. And actually hoping for 2,000 attendees next year. So that's the reason we've outgrown. They've outgrown many stitches and um, they're moving to to Fira, I want to say. It's a massive conference centre, um, which again, I think I'm not sure how it's going to work because this year the hotel is actually where the conference centre is. So so you stay in that hotel, you, know, you come down for breakfast and then you're in the conference centre. This one is slightly different. We're going to be staying elsewhere and then traveling to the conference center in the morning. So it'd be really interesting, actually, to see how that works um, next year. That's a wrap. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you to our guests, to Alex, to Leon, to Wing, and of course, to Joanna and to Chloe. Look out for our 2022 review podcast, which bookends the year. And we'll look forward to seeing you next year at the WODC.